Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Indeed we do. This week, Wishing Moon by Michael O'Tunnell. Yeah. Published in 2004. This is a middle grade rather than YA book. It is one yeah. that Madeline loved when yeah. she was young. So I'm yeah, excited I read it a lot. to hear about your past experiences with it because I think this is my first time reading it. Yeah. Um, although it is such a sort of like pleasant, gentle take on a well-known tale that I may have forgotten that I had read it. Um, yeah. And there, like it. It blends together a lot of stories from mm-hmm. the uh, book of 1001 Nights. Okay. Um, and we do have another episode on a book that talks about these stories, which is called The Storyteller's Daughter by Cameron Doki, yeah. um, which was explicitly about Shah- Shahrazad. Um, but Aladdin is a unique inclusion in the stories because it is one that was not it actually has no Arab descent it was written by a French author Uh, and then because of the Middle Eastern setting became included in the Arabian Nights stories going forward that's interesting um, which we talked about a little bit in that episode as well Um, so here's another version of a white man talking about Aladdin here we go we gotta find an Arab author don't (laughs) we We do. Um, So we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before, go check it out. We will start off by describing how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. Um, I do want to mention there are some other uh, really funny covers out there for this one, um, including one that looks like it was done in... A freshman year of high school art class. Graphic design is my someone, passion. By someone who really loves anime. <laughs> <laughs> I will put that on our website, oh, dragonbabiespodcast.com, so everybody can see it for themselves. Um, yeah, it has a very doe-eyed Amina against a really, really funny backdrop. Um, this cover is not bad. I I don't just like it. It was very appealing to me when I when was young. a kid. Yeah. Right off the bat, you can tell that this is going to be about the, if not Aladdin, the genie of Aladdin because the lamp, lamp. takes forefront, um, front and center. It's shiny. It's got a cute little chain that attaches the handle to the top to hold the lid on. Looking I at guess. it now, it does not look like the lamp described. No, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, they've, the artist has committed what we consider to be a cardinal sin um, of not actually incorporating details from the story, but instead going for a more abstract depiction of yeah. the events of the book. It, it looks too like shiny and new, and it doesn't have a little, little star on it, and she doesn't say anything about a chain detail. No, and Amina also... Seems to be wearing contemporary clothing. It looks like she has on a t-shirt and jeans, and it doesn't looks, it? Yeah, and it kind of looks like she has... Well, it does look like she has a very contemporary hairstyle as well. For sure. Yeah, like she looks like a little She's got Barbie a little graphic of hair. kind of. Yeah, yeah, like a Barbie silhouette. Yeah. Like a 50s Barbie style. Exactly. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, we do have a quote on the back from Lloyd Alexander saying, yeah. splendid piece of work, which, so, wow. Lloyd likes it. Um 
Michael O'Tunnell is obsessed with Lloyd Alexander. I read some uh, interviews with him. Okay. Um, and when he, he's always loved fantasy. And when he started writing, he thought he would be writing in the style of Lloyd Alexander or Tolkien and doing this really high fantasy I see. approach. Um, but then he became very interested in historical research. Okay. Um, and so started doing more historical fantasy. That makes stuff. sense. Gotcha. He has also written a book about Lloyd Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd Alexander, a bio so my my guy your, is real into Lloyd Alexander. If you want your heroes to pay attention to you, publish biographies about them. Yeah. It's a good approach. Yeah. It's a good approach. Um, the color palette is very pleasant, I will say. And it and, feels pretty contemporary. Yeah. And I do really like the line detail of the palace mm-hmm. behind it because it it does it is evocative of her like sitting on this wall outside. Uh, Looking out over the city. And then, yeah, and seeing like the kind of splendor Mm -hmm. of like richer parts of the city. I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. All right. I give it like a a B. Yeah. B plus. Yeah, it does. It does look a lot more contemporary. I think I Mm -hmm. bought it um, under the idea that it was like a modern retelling, Mm -hmm. um, probably especially because she looks like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is like a a cleaner, you know, it just doesn't look very classic, but this is, this tale does take place in long ago. As well as more, I mean, we just travel through time. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I turned into Professor Farnsworth right there. (laughs) Which Futurama getting rebooted. I know. Yeah. Intriguing. Um, it, I do remember they, uh, Jeannie says at one point that New York will happen in a thousand years. So, mm-hmm. and well, he's particularly talking about neon. So I'm putting that in what, like the 70s? Like the 80s. Okay. Yeah. So, and the. This probably takes place before it takes place 1000. In the 9th century. Yeah. So, Madeline, would you like to give us a plot overview so that we know what the heck happens in this book? This book, as Grace noted, takes place in uh, the ninth century in an Arabian city that I don't know if it's based on an actual city. I, don't think, so. I think he just made it up with well, like Al Al Kalas. Yeah, is what it's called. Al Kalas. Um, We're going to be rough on pronunciations, as always. I do. I have some. Madeline has studied Arabic in college. Um, but my speaking is really not good. So I will attempt, uh, to do proper pronunciations, but my apologies if it's like not very good Arabic. Um, uh, quickly, there is a village called Al Kalas that is in Maka province in Western Saudi Arabia. So okay. maybe it's a historical version of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, So Amina is the main character in this book, and she is an orphan. Uh, She's uh, homeless. She uh, doesn't have a family. She's alone. Um, How many more ways can you say it? (laughs) I guess I just wanted to be clear, like, not just an orphan. No, no, I know. She's in a rough spot. As you listed all of Amina's (laughs) woes, it was like, no. Yeah, no, she's just having a real (laughs) tough time. Um, And she's... She used to be much more comfortable because her family was, I think her father was a scribe for in the Sultan's palace. Yeah, like a scholar slash scribe. Yeah, so they had quarters Mm -hmm. like as part of the palace complex. Um, But her father dies and then her mother uh, dies from like a wasting sickness, like because of the pain of her husband's death. Slash being a not 
fleshed out character. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She, she just kind of perishes. Superficial character. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Amina it gets an idea. She's like, oh, I like knew the princess, the daughter of the sultan when I was younger. Like maybe, maybe she'll be willing to help me at least like get me a job in the palace mm-hmm. so that I can like have a place to sleep and food to eat. Um, and so she finds... Uh, she manages to find Princess Bader's uh, window and uh, appeals to her for help. And she has wildly miscalculated the way that Princess Bader will feel about this. Um, and she flips out because she has to see a dirty orphan, which is, you know, a response I've seen from a lot of people in Seattle towards homeless True. folks as well. Princess Potter is alive and well. Yeah. uh, And so she whips a a beat up old lamp at her to just be like, go away. (laughs) How dare you? Um, And uh, so Amina takes the lamp and just kind of flees. um, And she's like, why couldn't she have thrown something more expensive at me? Uh, And uh, but then she goes to polish the lamp and uh, surprise, clouds of glowing purple gases and a genie spew forth. <laughs> um, and the genie is like, I'm a genie. You get three wishes with each full moon. Amina is not good at managing the newfound wealth that comes with her wishes from the genie. Um, the genie at first is very sneaky. He's not on her side at all. There's he, a little trick in every wish granting. And he she wastes two of her wishes from the first moon by like telling the genie to stop like talking so loud and to be like quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the genie just sneakily like counts those as wishes. So mm-hmm. she only gets one wish. And the first time she just wishes for money and he gives her just like piles of a really old high currency mm-hmm. dinner. So, but she she manages. I like she figures it out. She figures it out. She she's young and uh, she uh, you know times are tough. Uh, she doesn't have a lot of maturity or experience to draw from. So, and she, she was about to starve to death at the opening of the book, right? Um, so she makes some uh, predictable mistakes uh, that a child with like all of this new wealth would make. Um, she does manage to kind of right the ship though, uh, and uh, very luckily, like, she's able to ask the genie for, like, food. Uh, no, no, she just uses her her dinars. Um, yeah, she figures out a way to break them down yeah, into currency. and to be somewhat stealthy about um, how she's spending them, because away from uh, Amina, uh, Aladdin comes back, mm-hmm. and he's just kind of this, like, Princess Bader's husband. Yes, yes. He's he's her husband, and it was his lamp Mm -hmm. that Princess Bader threw. And Aladdin is a very funny character in this book. Yeah, he just kind of shows up. He's very chill, and he's just like, well, whatever. (laughs) He's kind of like a stoner type vibe. (laughs) Just like, "Ah, I got what I needed from the lamp, please. Someone else, you know, whatever. And Princess Bader did not know Mm -hmm. that it was like, that's when Aladdin tells her. And then she's like very unhappy because she's very power hungry. She is the heir to the sultan if Aladdin were out of the picture. Uh, She's looking for Amina. Um, Aladdin is like he goes to a different city to do something that is important. He gets sent away to like oversee troops. 
yeah, something vague just to get rid of him. He's not a character. Yeah. Um, But he's necessary to bring the lamp into the picture. Mm -hmm. So much more of a character than Aladdin is the genie. He gets closer to Amina as time goes on. She uses her money to buy a house under a fake name and to acquire the things that she needs to live in the house. Uh, But first she meets Idris, who is uh, like she's getting hassled or about to be hassled by guards in the marketplace. And Idris is there um, and sees her about to get hassled. And he he plays along. Right. She does does the old, oh, my gosh, where have you been? I've been looking for you everywhere to a stranger. Because she's very conspicuous because she's a woman alone, Mm -hmm. dressed wealthy, Mm -hmm. which is not something like that culturally would have been happening. So it makes people suspicious of her. It makes her stand out. So once um, she finds Idris and he's, he plays along, he's like, I'll stay with you. Like, let's help each other out. Like, clearly you have a lot going on that you're not willing to tell me. Um, And uh, like that, he just kind of becomes her um, partner and the things she accomplishes would not have been possible without him. Mm -hmm. Um, he is in love with her, but she feels, um, she sees him as a brother. She's Mm -hmm. not in love with him Mm -hmm. in that way. She does love him as she states. Another person that comes into her life is Bara, who is, uh, like a mother figure to her. She, I think she shows up at the house. Right. They're looking for a cook, but they're not able to find one that makes sense. Amina very rudely neglects to hire a sex worker who shows up. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't she's like that. She calls her a harlot. Yeah. Is this a good cool. time to mention that the author is Mormon? Uh, well, let's talk more about that once we <laughs> yeah get into the analysis. <laughs> yeah, no, I was... Because the way religion is treated in this book is very interesting, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, um, it's kind of and a... And the way moral judgments are made. Yeah, yeah, it it is interesting. You can totally tell that the author is not um, Muslim yeah. or or like Arab, obviously. But at the same time, there's more about Islam in this book than any other book we've covered in a Middle Eastern setting. Which is how the fact that he is a historian mm-hmm. of sorts yeah. shines through. Yeah. That he actually Definitely. did do his research. So For we, sure. you know, we have to we need to appreciate that. that. Yeah. yeah, and actually uses. Um, Arabic phrases, mm-hmm. like they say, uh, alaykum mm-hmm. to each other, um, which is like the, you know, common greeting and goodbye still. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Bara comes to the door and asks whether they would like to hire her. Yeah. And Amina is like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so she becomes the cook and really quickly, uh, a turn, maternal figure. Turns into, mm-hmm. yeah, like kind of a mother figure yeah. for Amina. Um, and uh, at first she's like disappointed in Amina's like flagrant spending mm-hmm. in the market yeah. because she takes her to, I think the souk um, yes. is what it's called. And uh, like she's just throwing her money around on clothes and food and, and whatever she wants, which like makes a lot of sense for someone who's been destitute and comes into great wealth. Um, it's really common for folks who win the lottery to yeah. fall into that trap mm-hmm. in our and world. She's only 14. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, one day what kind of starts to remind her of like how horrible it was for when she was that poor is when Bara uh, walks away from her in the souk and hands um, some money to uh, someone who is um, begging, begging mm-hmm. for for support, asking for help. 
<laughs> and uh, Amina then is like overwhelmed with like she starts crying she's like oh my god and she runs forward and like throws all her money down um which creates a bit of pandemonium yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. to be expected mm-hmm. um and uh, so then Bada takes her away but that's like an important point for Amina it's a turning point to be like oh I could be helping people well and then at that point she also starts having uh, nightmares every night yeah. of the other children living in what they call beggars corridor yeah um and they're starving and their destitution yeah and just like their pain mm-hmm. um and so that's when she starts to feel like it's not right for me to just be living lavishly and not trying to pay it forward yeah. a little bit so meanwhile as this is happening like the genie he's around he and amina have fights sometimes um one time she shakes the lamp because she thinks that he tricked her one thing she asked for is a refilling money box which is smart it's a lot smarter than just asking for riches um and uh Amina totally takes the approach that we did as children when we would play, you know, pretend. We had Gurgi's bag. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we had never, the never Speaking ending food bag. Speaking of Lloyd Alexander. I know, I yeah. know. Um, the never ending food bag. And then we would also always, well, we were more focused on food. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like we didn't thinking about money. <laughs> we were privileged growing up, so we didn't really have a conception of like. But we were also hungry. <laughs> yeah, we were like food. <laughs> food is important. But then when we would talk about money in those games, it would also always be like a wallet that's never empty. Yeah, yeah you gotta yeah. take the right approach. Yeah, renewable resources. Exactly. That's that's how you get the most out of your wishes from mm-hmm. the genie. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, once Amina decides to, and at the same time as this is developing, Idris is like kind of telling her how she feels, how he feels about her. And Amina is being like, oh, <laughs> and so then Idris just becomes a lot more scarce. Yeah. Um, he becomes kind of an apprentice to a storyteller in uh, like the city. And he um, also knows that Amina is hiding something. Yeah. From and him. he's unhappy that mm-hmm. she doesn't trust him enough to share it with him, which is how he sees it. I do kind of get Amina's viewpoint here, though, Mm -hmm. too, because she's, like, protecting them all Mm -hmm. by refusing to tell them who she Mm -hmm. is. We just took a moment to do some research. Because we didn't know how to say. how to pronounce the main character's name, and we've not learned. Boy, there's a lot of different pronunciations out there. You want to get really confused. Try to learn how to pronounce a name on the internet. It's really hard. Well, but Grace did say that it, from some brief research, it sounds like it is the name of the Prophet Muhammad's mother. Mm -hmm. So surely people who are Muslim Mm -hmm. would know Know how how to to properly say it, but we're having trouble figuring out which one of the pronunciations is coming from a reputable source. Feel free to reach out to us Let if us you know, know the, yeah, the proper um, uh, way to say it and if you feel like sharing. Once Amina talks to Jeannie and she's like, I want to start doing good. And he's like, mm, it's probably a bad idea. I'm a demon. Like that, like it's probably not going to go well. Yeah. But there she's like, no, I really want to like do this. I have this amazing power. Like, please help me. So she wishes for the power to transport herself to any place by visualizing it. Um, and that works for the future and or the time. past oh, as well. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But just she's really excited about the time travel. She, yeah, she still does need to be able to visualize it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she thinks the genie has tricked her, but he didn't really. Um, that's kind of just part and parcel of it. 
Uh, and it, like, it makes sense. It also makes her pretty sick. Yes. Yeah. It gives her a rash and. Uh, no, that's from the orb. Okay. The rash is from the orb. The vomiting. The vomiting is from the, is from the time travel. <laughs> right. It hits her like yeah. a, okay. Which is like a common thing with teleportation in <laughs> yeah. media. Yeah. Like it, you will I mean, make your body doesn't like, like it. It makes sense. My my body this morning didn't like walking downstairs. I fell down the stairs. Grace, so, you know. Grace fell down the stairs. Hard for all <laughs> It's already us. bruising. Who knows what would happen to me if I tried to time travel. Oh, my God. Just arrive there like a mushy lump of Just gristle. Just a single fingernail. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's left. Um, and then she also asks for the ability to find good people because she's like, I, mm-hmm. she comes at this from a smart angle. She decides that rather she's going to do direct services rather than come at, uh, the uh, problem institution rather than, mm-hmm. uh, from a place of policy Mm -hmm. uh, of like systemic change. Instead, she's like, I'm going to pick individual good people and pay it forward to them. Right. Who then have the ability and desire to spread good themselves. So she's viewing it like a network that she's creating the seeds. Yeah. It's it's kind of like a mentorship program. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I I like the way yeah, that she's it, basically like creating community centers. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I I really like that approach. Um, I think what the author does with that is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she she starts doing it with a couple of people. She she sees um, like she transports herself to. Uh, she wants to see the ocean. She wants to see the ocean, she so she goes to the Mediterranean Sea. And there is uh, it is also which is not the ocean a. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a place where people make pilgrimages to, um, like holy pil- pilgrimages. Uh, no, that's a different one. So she goes to Tyr first, swims, then goes back, and later she wants to go on the Hajj. So she goes to Mecca. Oh, so she just goes straight up to Mecca. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when, when she's there, that's where she sees um, two people like really kindly take a man who's in very uh, poor and desperate straits, um, who is a master rug weaver. And so she sees that happening and then she's like, okay, I can do that for other people. Mm-hmm. I can support people who need help and I can help them get established and uh, like then I, yeah, I can pay it forward. And she uses an orb that she wished for to uh, get to uh, um, see people who are good. Uh, And he doesn't make it. Instead, he borrows it from a wizard, Mm -hmm. which I also like Mm -hmm. as like, he can't just always create things out of whole cloth. Like sometimes it's easier to, you know, use someone else's Mm -hmm. resources for it. Um, and the wizard doesn't seem to mind. So that's how she finds Ahab. And uh, Ahab is uh, tailor. a tailor. And he's also, he's addicted to taking in orphans. And he uh, is down on his rent. He like He's teaching the orphans a trade, like basically an apprenticeship to do the tailoring with him. But he, his wife passed away and he has no head for business. Mm-hmm. So he's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she gives him uh, really cool tailoring abilities where he can weave anything. Um, Work quickly. And there's a refilling... Uh, um, supplies mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Um, and so he 
immediately it's working out really well for him. I was worried that she was going to give it to him. And then because he had no head for business, he was going to like right. blow it all on yeah. bringing 200 orphans in. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where Hassan, that's where Hassan does. Yeah. <laughs> Hassan has more of a problem. <laughs> um, because you've got to help yourself first or you won't be able to help it's other people. It's clear that Ahab like did have a successful business at some point. Whereas Hassan yes. is just like, no, he's bread. Just flailing. I don't even know how to do it. He's just like throwing his money out the window. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Ahab, he's doing great. Yeah. And he he, also gets a new lady. He does. Yeah. She, she wishes for a woman who is compatible with him Mm -hmm. basically. And who he is compatible with too. And she like comes into the shop and then they like immediately fall in love. They're both like, Uh, ever since my husband's wife died (laughs) i've never met someone like you yeah yeah Yeah. um so it's not like a love spell but the genie just puts the right two people exactly and so it like that is absolutely a thing that can happen Mm -hmm. it's rare but Mm -hmm. it's possible and especially i have a genie who's going to make sure that all the parts are there like of course it's possible um so i like that also i thought that was cute there, there's this stuff that kind of happens off to the side where Princess Bader is talking to her uh, head of guard and kind of is like, help me steal the throne. Aladdin's oh, out of town. you my husband. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how she's getting help from the guards mm-hmm. to search for Amina. Yep. And uh, she does capture a bunch of beggar girls and torture them and, like, they don't know anything. Uh, so she's just doing really dastardly things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, <laughs> she looks for another person to help through the orb. Um, and, uh, and I'll talk about Jeannie's progress in a minute. She sees Hassan who she's actually seen before because when she first got that load of really old, uh, dinars from, mm-hmm the genie she hides him in the desert and a like merchant caravan walks by and are just like what are you doing like why are you alone out here in the baking sun in the desert um and she's like i have a bad back so i'm laying on the hot sand they're just kind of like it's pretty funny okay like you're clearly lying but (laughs) and at that time Hassan gives her his jeweled uh water pouch um which she finds out later once she sees him uh he shouldn't have given away he's like so bad with his money he his father is a very successful merchant and he came to the city and uh, like didn't have any more money to work with. His father was a successful merchant, right. but he died and then had these surprise debts. Right. So his son paid off the ones he could and then, and then took left. what was left to try to start fresh somewhere else. And he decided to do a bakery. Um, and uh, when uh, Amina sees his bakery, it's rough because he, <laughs> he makes bread, but then he gives it all away um, to the orphans, which like mm-hmm. obviously like supporting the orphans good but again you have to put your own oxygen mask on before putting on the child's next to you and if you only support the orphans and don't sell any bread then you won't be able to keep making right you won't be able to to keep giving them bread yeah yeah um so he he doesn't know how to bake and is not good at it so that's a bigger trouble he's like so (laughs) (laughs) it feels like one of those i don't know this people it's like i'm going to become a master chef off to culinary school and then it's like uh i don't know how to do anything what is yeast (laughs) is the 
salt? <laughs> sure. Um, and so she appears to him and is able to hide herself at first. And she wishes for magic jars that refill with ingredients and gives him better baking skills. Um, so that starts to be better. And then they start falling in love. Meanwhile, uh, during her wishing for good things for people, uh, Jeannie is like remembering flashes of his past life. He's hanging out with them more. He's realizing he was a human at some point. Yeah. And he's hanging out with Amina and Bara. Playing um, chess. Yeah. Eating it, sherbet. Idris got mad because he heard... Um, Amina talking in her room to someone, even though he can't hear Jeannie because of her wish for him to be quiet, mm-hmm. but he's like, she has a man visitor. Yeah. Um, at some point, he clearly knows what's going on with the lamp, but we don't get to know what time. We just find mm-hmm. out at the very end that he knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than him being lovesick, it's probably more him being pissed that she doesn't let him in mm-hmm. on like what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, but in order to have Jeannie be able to be around without that deal, um, she, he assumes this guise of being uncle Omar, uh, and he looks like her father kind of. So like that helps them also bond. And she reminds him of his sister from a previous life, which we find out a bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they start playing chess and uncle Omar plays chess with Bara and, uh, he's just becoming more and more like complicated as opposed to just being like, rah, rah, I'm yeah. the genie of the lamb. Right. He has moments of emotion and positive feelings for mm-hmm. Amina and Bara. Yeah. And it, Idris too, who he loves because he's grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And it reminds me a bit of like the development of, of a Miyazaki character. Mm. Um, mm. Just the way that like, like it reminds me of the Witch of the, the Waste Witch. kind yeah. of from yeah. Hell's Moving Castle yeah. Yeah. Um, in the movie, not in the book. So he's, he's also kind of becoming part of their little family. Um, and Idris is still suspicious of him. Again, I, we don't know when he realizes that he's the genie. Amina and Hassan are falling in love and uh, she's hanging out with him and his business is doing good. At some point, a a guy who was previously in Hassan's trading caravan shows up, Rashid, and he is uh, bad. And, it's, and it seems like <laughs> for some reason the genie told him that piece of the plot I don't understand yeah but I was he, confused like, by guided Rashid to watch Hassan and notice that he's not buying ingredients but he's producing all this bread and, and it, that a young woman is coming at night and for some I don't know if it's a little bit and the genie says that it's because he like bad things come from the good things but yeah. then that implies that he didn't do it by choice that it was just a consequence but how could that possibly be connected yeah, so that's a little fuzzy. And when in did the, he, like, tell him? <laughs> it, in like, the end, you just have to accept that, like, yeah, this was some negative consequence that happened they, somehow. They brush over it. Yeah, regardless of, like, how mm-hmm. conscious the genie's mm-hmm. involvement was in it. But yeah. it, it happens. It's kind of just, it needs to happen for the plot. Um, yeah. But couldn't they have come up with some other... It could have just been watching. I know, right? Like, yeah. It have to be alerted. I guess she needs to feel betrayed by the yeah. genie. Um, but then she, like, doesn't. Okay. That's fine. Yeah, it's, it's confusing. It's a pretty simple <laughs> book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah plot-wise. Yeah. Um, and so then the, the Princess Bader, 
uh, knows. She knows. Um, Rashid goes to the palace and is like <laughs> telling on them. And, and they're uh, like, dungeon for you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> One million years dungeon. <laughs> and it's not surprising at all. Um, and no. then they go and they get Hassan. They take his jars. Um, they throw him in the dungeon. He's getting tortured. Uh, we find out in a bit. And uh, um, when Amina looks through the crystal at the bakery, then she's like, um, and that's then when the wheels start turning pretty quickly. She goes to the dungeon. She sees Hassan there, sees he's been tortured. Um, she uses her power to go there and uh, it's bad. Uh, but he does say like, I haven't told them anything um, because they're in love. And she's trying to make plans on what to do. She wishes him out of the dungeon. Right, into the home. Then she wishes for him to get out of the city. She mm -hmm. sends him away to Tyr. She's like, don't worry, I'll be there soon, but I can't go now. I'm out of wishes and it'll arouse suspicion. But Princess Badr finds her because uh, Rashid told her that her name is Zubaida, which is a name from Amina's family mm -hmm. um, who lived in the palace. So Badr is able to be like, oh, okay, that's what's going on here. So she shows up. She shows up at the house. She's got guards with her. It's bad. It's looking real, real bad. Uh, she has Bada killed. Um, but because Amina had made a wish for Bada to have a really long, a long life, life. Yeah, she doesn't die. Mm -hmm. Um, even though like the the injury they happens. Cut her throat. Yeah. Right after she comes back to life, we find out Idris has taken control of the lamp. So uh, it's a good thing that happened in that order because the effects of the wishes go away. Yeah. Um, unless they're physical objects. Right, unless it's that like... That created. Yeah, which also makes sense. Mm -hmm. Idris has hidden all of the stuff in the feed, in the horses, so she doesn't get the... Uh, um, Badr doesn't get the enchanted items and stuff and uh, goes He's, away. He wishes them to... To Mecca. To Mecca, yeah. yeah it'd be like, like, have a religious experience. Maybe she'll do the Hajj. Maybe you should pray. Maybe it'll chill her out. Yeah. Um, uh, which, like, I seriously doubt that Princess Badr is interested in <laughs> enlightenment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's the last we see of her. And then uh, it just becomes, like, wrapping up. Um, Amina does... She's able to research the genie's past using the crystal and sees that he was, like, a corrupt debt collector. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of his debt collectees has some sort of magical power and turns him into a genie. And she tells genie that and he's like, oh, what a bummer. <laughs> because he's been yeah. like wanting to know about his past life. And she's like, well, I mean, I can use a wish to undo you becoming right. a Go back a genie. in time yeah. and prevent that from happening. And the genie is just kind of like, the butterfly effect create a lot of <laughs> paradoxes and yeah. yeah butterfly effects so let's let's not but thank mm -hmm. you very much for giving me the choice yeah right she gives him that. the opportunity yeah and then Bara becomes the the owner of the lamp uh because they need more wishes and eventually they all end up out in tear and uh, the genie really slowly 
well, pretty quickly has builders, quote unquote, build the mm-hmm. house because I mean, it's like, we can't just have the house appear yeah. on the hill. Like we don't want to be that <laughs> obvious. At least try. They create a new life together. Um, Idris does not come with them. He's going off to be a storyteller, yeah. but he will come visit and yeah. he takes the horses. Yeah. And Hassan is there with them and we got Jeannie and Bara and... Uh, it's, it's a really nice ending. Well, there's that, a little yeah, twist. It was kind of annoyed end. me, honestly, yeah. the way the book like ends at the very last People few on Goodreads didn't like it either. Yeah, because she's like, I saw this woman in France named Ella, and I'd like to help her. And the genie's like, does she have two stepsisters and a wicked stepmother? <laughs> like, and then the last thing he says is like, you're going to be their fairy yeah, godmother. This is your job, yeah. fairy godmother. Uh, which is another serious bit of... Western, mm-hmm. um, because like all of the stuff that Jeannie is dropping hints about from the future, almost all of it is specifically about America, yeah. Um, which is a very young country today, and there would have been, and it's in a completely different hemisphere, there is a much older and richer uh history and like more, much more to come in her actual region as well as China and India like right. these other really the, significant civilizations that go way back mm-hmm. and there's so much there as opposed to just like a less than 300 year old um nope I'm obsessed land with of colonizers New York <laughs> baseball that's yeah. what I love yeah so there the author it's is really telling really that it's tipping his author. hand that I'm an American yeah. <laughs> time revolves around us yeah yeah and this is a part of a duology there is a second book that I guess in some editions now is actually packaged with Wishing Moon that's called A Moon Without Magic um, which you didn't read when you were young, right? Nope. Yeah. I, so I, I imagine that's about her like getting into various scrapes as a fairy godmother to different characters and sure. in fantasy and folklore. Yeah. Um, so I, I pulled this book off a shelf in a Borders bookstore when I was there with mom because I liked the way it looked. And uh, I read it a lot of times when I was little. It was in a bunch of boxes that we've got from my mom from her garage that we've definitely referenced several times already. Coin collection. That's what you're here for. <laughs> <laughs> Mentions of our old boxes. Um, and when I pulled it out, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to read this again. Um, so that's why we've done it. And uh, I uh, saw some new things about it that I did not say, like the weird Western stuff mm-hmm. as, you know, and more stuff that we're going to we're gonna talk about now. So expand on your old and new impressions. I'm very curious um, just to hear a little bit more about what this book was like when you were young, um, because I have not read it previously. Yes. Uh, so I, I found it, I mean, it's very fast paced. Mm -hmm. There's lots of fun stuff going on. That's Mm -hmm. very engaging. Um, lots of like just interesting people. And of course, when I was a little white girl living in the suburbs of Chicago, it felt really like quote unquote exotic Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was probably besides the, um, uh, I still, I have it now, this big red, um, the book, the pages on the sides are gilded with um, gold color and it is just a compendium of fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And uh, besides Western fairy tales, I, 
I think it's, I can't remember if there's many from other cultural traditions, but there are many um, tales from the Thousand and One Nights in it. Many. Um, There's Sinbad. There's a bunch of Sinbad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, besides that book, this was probably my first more like contemporarily written um, story about just like Arab folk tales. Mm -hmm. Um, So... And an experience of Aladdin outside of the Disney movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, because in the the book of fairy tales, the stories are like very traditionally written. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the Sinbad ones are right. super gory. Yeah, <laughs> I've, yeah, I've read that book. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was a much more like for me, mm-hmm. it felt totally. um, packaging of those like stories and tropes. So I thought that was really cool. Was it funny to think about Princess Butter as Princess Jasmine? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very funny um, because I did kind of imagine her as like a beautiful Princess Jasmine mm-hmm. only who was like incredibly cruel yeah. and horrible. Yeah. yeah. Like a dark Princess Jasmine, yeah. <laughs> like dark link. <laughs> well, and it also begs the question of the Aladdin in this story who, yeah, I don't want to talk about him too much because he's it's intentionally like, not, not a character, Yeah, but he does set off all of the events. Um, yeah. So I'm he's very there for the curious, plot. like why he wanted to marry her. Um, oh, I assumed that he because she's wished so clearly is such a nightmare. Um, he, I assumed that he wished to marry a sultan's a daughter, beautiful princess. Yeah, and then because because he came from nothing. I know, so he but probably made some un, you know, not thought he's out. Just wishes. so weirdly passive and resigned for someone who thrust himself into that situation. But I mean. It has been a while. I don't know. For some reason, that didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt natural to me because, like, he had wished for all of this and now he's become complacent. Yeah. He's seen the downsides in his wishes. He's like, oh, shoot, my wife is I evil. Guess, <laughs> I guess it just makes me think of, because she's, like, such an impetus for so many of what his wishes were. It's like if Helen of Troy was, like, a horrible person. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. It's just um, funny. But, I mean, since he is such a passive guy, mm-hmm. like, once he was with her, like, I believe that he would just kind of turn over like oh, whatever right yeah <laughs> he doesn't have much drive yeah he's a bit of a bit of a loser yeah this aladdin yeah kind of yeah. a burnout yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> okay so we were talking about seeing the princess when you were young yeah and how you viewed her i was bummed that there wasn't a tiger i wanted there to be a tiger i was raja in the original it's no like raja. very important to me yeah and um, I, I liked Amina a lot. I don't remember when I was little being anywhere near as frustrated with her poor choices at the like periodically mm-hmm. throughout the book because mm-hmm. she does make a lot of them, which makes sense mm-hmm. because I was even younger than she is in the book. So mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like do yeah. These are the kinds of wishes that I would make too. Yeah, um, and. Uh, I believe that I was very bummed when she was not because I was really into like clean, uh, predictable romantic relationships in Mm -hmm. books because I didn't want to be like stressed out on the will they or won't they. I just wanted to be like, okay, there's two characters who are clearly supposed to be love interests, Mm -hmm. the end. But reading it when I was older, I actually liked that, that Mm -hmm. it wasn't just that 
because I like more complicated yeah. stories now. Yeah. Um, I was kind of like, oh, like they're, yeah, they're not going to be together just because they're a man and a woman who have been helping each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess technically she did still fall in love with the first cute guy she met. It was just later right. on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She even yeah. says that at one point. She's like, I met Hassan before Idris. And it's like, no, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there is that. But but I, I really didn't mind, um, especially because Hassan is like very sweet to her. Yeah. He's lovely. Yeah. He's, he's, he's just like a bit of a goof. He's hapless. Yeah. yeah. But he's clearly like a really wonderful person who yeah. cares a lot about the people around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I like them as a couple. Uh, and uh, I, I like Jeannie a lot too, honestly. Mm-hmm. But And I didn't notice any of the anachronisms about mm-hmm. like I was just kind of like, oh, he's talking about where I live. Right. Because that's your immediate frame of reference. <laughs> right. So it would just feel natural. Yeah. And now by this point, it was actually extremely jarring um, when like he pulls up a string of eight references about the future and yeah. every single one of them is a cultural American yeah, so thing. So America From like the same few yeah. decades in American history even, yeah. you know. United States specifically. Yeah. Yeah. The United States. It would have been a lot cooler if he talked about like native history in America, which like spanned back much further. And he could have like talked about the incredible civilizations, especially in um, like Central and South America that uh, like people were building and creating and maintaining until the white people showed up and murdered them (laughs) all. It's not what the Mormons believe. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, of course, that was not going to happen. But, yeah, now reading it this time, I do just feel like, man, there's so much missed opportunity for Mm -hmm. him to talk about so much really amazing stuff to even be, you know, I would have been into it if he had cheekily, like, referred to Atlantis or something, right. you know, yeah, like more, that would be cool. more like mysterious mm-hmm. things rather than like modern, like neon lights. <laughs> yeah, I do. I wonder if like we've mentioned since the author was very interested in research and the history of the period, um, reading a few interviews with him, he made some good points about like he had done so much research for these books that he actually felt like it was harder because he was trying not to just put in blocks of historical information mm. and show like, look how much I've learned in yeah. this process. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that was, you know, an attempt to like add some levity. Um, also because it's a middle grade book and it's for a slightly younger audience, like throwing in some things that are going to feel immediately recognizable to kids in a way that feels like, oh, I get this mm-hmm. instead of like, oh, that that's unfamiliar to me, like these other cultural pieces that I'm learning about. Um, so like I get the reasoning behind it, but I agree. I found it pretty annoying. Um, but I can see if I was young, I think I would have liked it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's very um like I said, because of who I was at the time, mm-hmm. because of my my background, my characteristics, um like it, it was very enjoyable for me and it, it is nice like reading it now and seeing all these examples of how my worldview has gotten a lot yeah. bigger and more nuanced. Totally. Like that, that is rewarding to yeah. actually notice the things that I'm like, Hmm, like that's, that's weird. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually nice. So 
yeah, segue into my, my stuff. Um, I have also been, I've been thinking a lot recently, just kind of reflecting on why I loved fairy tale and folkloric retelling so much mm. when I was younger um, and like getting specifically at what itch those scratched for me. Sure. And it kind of crystallized for me reading this book. Yeah. I think it's because they provide a, a sort of young person's entry to literary analysis where you are given this immediate comparison with very clear tweaks to the form. So because it's a story that you know so well, you can look at it in this really, you know, simplified way and say, okay, this is what's different about this story. Why is this different? Mm -hmm. What does it add by being there? Like what's the intent? Okay. Um, I d- and so that was cool to think about. I, I don't have the same words and experiences as you because I didn't like mm-hmm. study reading and writing in English, mm-hmm. but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's what made it so satisfying. And when you're young, it gives you a sort of <laughs> false sense of wisdom where you're exactly. like, I know this story. Yeah. I know what this author is totally. doing. You feel like this is what's different. You're totally right. Yeah. It makes you feel like you get this on a deeper level exactly yeah, yeah even really though you're 12 out, really <laughs> digs out that like little smarmy scholar yeah that was yes. very present in me at that age. <laughs> yeah, that's true. so that was fun thinking about reading this book I also was thinking about yeah how I'm reading this as an adult and how I might have as a kid that's the whole point of the podcast um <laughs> but, but having not read the book before it gave me some interesting insights I didn't love that Amina is giving all these men power. Yeah, she she right away wants to support men. Yeah, I wondered, and I guess she has the lamp, so she has her own ongoing source, but I was like, why isn't she creating a home for orphans? Like Mormon? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It did ring true for me and feel like it made sense when I okay so the back of the book the author jacket it says Michael O'Tunnel is a professor of children's literature author of several books for young readers blah 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 at the end it says he has four he's married and has four children three of whom are married and starting their own families when I was like okay screw that fourth child uh, I guess they don't (laughs) count (laughs) and that also just feels young that they already are yeah um because this is not an old man. Uh, and then it says he lives in Orem, Utah. And I know that Orem is right next to Provo, which is the heart of Mormonism. Um, and I looked him up and the book really kind of obfuscates this, but he, he yeah, he's a professor of children's literature at Brigham Young Brigham University, Young University. Um, the Mormon University. Um, and he has interviews on a bunch of Mormon websites. He is very involved in the faith. Okay. So that in the church. Yeah. And in the right. And yeah. in the church. 
And that gave me a new lens to look yeah. at this book through. Mm-hmm. Um, it helped make some things make more sense. I knew even before, because I did that research after reading it, mm. um, I knew that he had a preoccupation with religion. I did, like I mentioned, appreciate how much he talked about Islam and used different Muslim practices. Right. Um, and they talk about, the, about the call to prayer, call to prayer every day. from the imam. Um, That was intriguing. I thought it made more sense that there was such a focus on Amina, like helping men create communities and families and like giving a woman to uh, uh, Ahab. Ahab, yeah. Um, That that also, now that you say it like, right, yeah, yeah, she gave him a wife. Yeah. But Um, I mean... It does seem like it goes both ways, Mm -hmm. the way it's written. Totally. But when you look at it from further away, it's like, hmm. Yeah, it's not egregious. It's not explicit. I read the whole book not thinking like this was written by a Mormon person. I, you know, I was thinking this was written by a white man because it's just important to be cognizant of that when you're reading a a story set in a completely different culture. Yeah. Um, But I do think he did a lot of research. Um, Yeah, that is is clear. Yeah. And, And the way he talked about Islam is respectful. Um, yeah. There is a lot of emphasis on personal connection to God or Allah um, that feels Christ, pretty Christian to yeah, me. Yeah, because I think um, that um, uh, it's more of a collectivist mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. culture than versus America is all rugged right. individualism. Like, what did God say to me? What is God telling yeah. me to do? Very yeah, high emphasis I just feel like there was more experience. of an emphasis on that yeah. um, throughout point. the book. Um, yeah, and like long-term listeners know our feelings about organized religion of, of all types. We um, were, yeah. Particularly we were, Christian beliefs and traditions. We were raised Catholic. Yes. Um, yeah, if you want to hear more about that, listen to every episode. Yeah. <laughs> Start, going Start at the them. beginning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is woven through us. So we're, uh, we're not coming at this from a place of like, we, we do have experience with a religious mm-hmm. tradition in particular, an American Christian religious tradition. Yeah. Um, but I do have, you know, big problems with the Mormon faith yeah. <laughs> um, as a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, I think I know like probably more than the average person about it. Um, well, you, yeah, yeah. And I, it was hard for me to look at a book about um, people of color living in the Middle East written by someone who is a very active Mormon. Yeah, um, because, because I don't of think... the racist yeah. beliefs that are just inherent to the Book of Mormon. It's, it's kind to of Joseph Smith's teachings. White supremacist deal. They were saying up until I mean, God, the last 30, 40 years yeah. that it was a white religion. They wouldn't let black men be priests or like engage in a lot of the higher up activities. Yeah. Like literally Um, it's about like, they're changing some things now, but something because they're being forced to also because their religion religion is based on the belief that each of their prophets is speaking directly to God. If they go back and revise things that the prophets said, then they're undercutting that. So it's like, it has, it has a built in resistance to change and analysis. It's like the opposite of Judaism. It's like all about exploring right. the text and reinterpreting yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
instead it's like, no, don't look too closely. And I've heard from accounts of people who have left the Mormon church that there is such resistance to like, you're not supposed to listen to anyone outside of Mormonism. You're not even supposed to like hear criticism that's being leveled at you. Which like big old red flag right there. Right. The, yeah. the Buddha Just said, don't look too closely. <sighs> like, don't examine. Like, what? The, the Buddha said, a quote that is attributed to the Buddha is, uh, do not believe anything that is said to you, even if I'm the one who has said to you, if it disagrees mm-hmm. with your own yeah. um, morals and understanding, you must look at it more closely. Yeah. I, Which and I feel I, is a, a better <laughs> approach. I agree. <laughs> um, and, and, oh, go ahead. I'm about to go off in a weird direction. Because Joseph Smith lived relatively much more recently Mm. um, than other quote-unquote prophets. Um, There's actually an excellent historical record showing that he was um, a snake oil salesman. And he... Because this is all just in the last 200 years. And he specifically, like, had started multiple, like, con artist ventures um and his ideas are there behind the bastards episodes on joseph smith they've got to be i haven't heard excellent episodes that i have listened to about um joseph smith our last podcast on left they have like a six-part series on it um both great podcasts yeah yeah and it's it's very good um last podcast on left in particular, and also behind the bastards are n- for adults. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> yes, they absolutely. Are, yeah, <laughs> especially last podcast on the left. Um, yeah, uh, but okay, so we won't we won't talk about this forever. But, but check check out especially last podcast on the left. Mm-hmm. Very well researched um, and rooted in real history mm-hmm. exploration of who Joseph Smith was. Yeah. All that being said, uh, it makes this an interesting reading experience for an adult, yeah. um, for an informed adult or someone who's trying to be informed, Working as informed as possible. Inf- yeah. um, but I also, I don't think that this is a harmful book. I think it, yeah. I think it was, it was a fun, light, interesting read. I did like seeing Amina being able to... You know, even though, like I said, she is like giving more power to men, she does build and run and, you know, craft her own household and her own family. She makes her own family Mm -hmm. after her parents are gone, Mm -hmm. um, which is really cool. I like the way that she the is able to bring people together. The really lovely. Yeah. Like she, she's pulling in others who don't have families for different reasons, even the genie, mm-hmm. um, and like softening and humanizing him. She is creating a very traditionally nuclear family. Yeah. <laughs> Bara <laughs> and genie also like have crushes on yeah. each other. Mom, dad, and bro. Yeah. And my hubs. <laughs> I know, but it, but I did still It is still lovely. that. Nuclear families um, are also families. And I think some of the, you know, maybe some of the more like positive messages that could come from a Mormon background are like, yeah, help take care of others, like help the less fortunate, mm-hmm. um, the way that there is such a focus on helping the orphans throughout the book. The, the most um, poor among yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I did appreciate that. And it felt very different to me from some of the other books we've covered where someone comes out of um, 
orphanhood or destitution as a child mm-hmm. and then is like, all right, peace, see ya. Yeah. I'm going to go off with my fancy new family. Which there's all kinds of examples today in the modern world as well. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking a lot about trickster's choice for some reason while we were reading this. Hmm. I guess I guess because I was thinking about because that's a book about mostly brown people, but then the white savior piece is where it all becomes very sticky. Yeah. Um, whereas here it is, you know, a young uh, Middle Eastern yeah, woman there are no white people. who is helping yeah. other Middle Eastern So I appreciate people. that. Yeah. There's um, no yeah, white there, saviorism. There aren't this. white people yeah. in this, which is appropriate and historically accurate. Yeah, it would have been um, wild if suddenly but a then, white person But then at up. the end, she's like, let's go to the white people because of... <laughs> Cinderella twist. They need it's me. The last, the last page is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's think, rough. I think I'm curious about the second book, but I, I will not be reading it. Nah. Um, and yes, this is one book in which I actually agree with the folks on Goodreads. Pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. Univers- Grace put aside her beef. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much everyone universally was like. Oh my God, the modern references and also the last page ruined. Yeah. Um, But I mean, I don't, I don't think it ruined the book. No, Um, I I don't Clearly we differ from that. No, I agree. There are still really good things about it, but it is the context and deeper understanding here. I think is really important. And then the other thing I liked was having a book that really thoroughly um, rejected the Disney Aladdin. Yeah. I feel like it has colored so many other tellings um, and that are made for young people. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily think that there were um, racist Arab caricatures unlike in Disney's Aladdin. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I did... <laughs> And I, where the main characters seem like pretty white. <laughs> in yeah, terms exactly. Of how they They're just look white people who's yeah. like they just colored their skin darker. Um, I d- it did give me pause a bit. Even uh, the recent live action Aladdin, they were like, it was so hard to cast a Middle Eastern person. <laughs> you are the wealthiest media company in on the planet. And it, yeah, I know that's really difficult for you. Um, anyways. I did wonder a bit because he does really go in hard on the poverty descriptions yeah. um, while simultaneously praising America for I being agree. a kind of magical place of dreams because America has always had horrifying poverty issues. Yeah. And there was some of it almost in that way of like poverty fetish fetish fetishization yes um, yes of yeah where it's so excessive so that you can make yourself feel like oh i have to help these people but only in whatever way feels right to me and it's i'm paternalistic it is because it's also focusing on like we were talking about earlier the individual who is actually the recipient of harms being done to them by the broken system that they live in rather than addressing the source of the cause exactly which also feels yeah. very um Mormon, Christian, like missionary based work where it's like, oh, we're going to go and help these poor individuals instead of levying all that money and influence at the systems that have created their situation. Yeah, it's it's something that I learned in when I was lawyering, when I was in law school and then lawyering. Deep in the lawyering trenches. Deep in the lawyering is understanding how problematic it, it is it currently um, mm-hmm. in the public interest legal system mm-hmm. that the attorneys and the employees 
um, are overwhelmingly white because of systemic racism that goes back for centuries. Um, It is just so much easier for white people to become attorneys. Um, And because of those same systemic issues, the clients that the the system is supposed to be serving are majority non-white. Yeah. And so right there you have a problem in that the uh, it's not coming from their community. It's white people coming in from the outside and saying this is how we're going to fix this. Yeah. And something that I've been really excited to see in my recent job is um some people who are white taking opportunities to instead of come in and be like, well, we know how to fix this with our white yeah. ways, even yeah. though the white ways are the ones that landed, like yeah. created this horrible system instead being like coming into the space and listening and saying, yeah. we have these resources. What do you think should be done with them? Or like, yeah. let's just give you the resources and like, how do we support mm-hmm. what you from inside the community mm-hmm. see as ways that it, it will be best used because mm-hmm. the people in the community are the ones that need to be like prioritized there. Yeah. They have the actual experience and that's not going to be white saviorism and like paternalistic outlooks. Um, so For that sure. kind of makes me think of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really relevant and yeah. it's very hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this, I think I can safely say this is the most, uh, in-depth discussion of this book that probably exists <laughs> at this point. That's why it's fun to cover some of these lesser known Niche works, books, yeah. Um, which yeah, is also kind of the point of the pod. Like we do aim for ones that, um, yeah, as in the zeitgeist. We did do the Hobbit, but I mean, that was a special episode. That's a special episode. And our hundredth episode is coming up. Yeah. So we have to figure out what it's going to be. Aragon hate pod. One <laughs> hundredth episode. It's our first hate pod. <laughs> okay, I, think I don't want to read Aragon. <laughs> this is already a long episode. I I say um, I'm let's let's skip animals because it's just horses, it's just horses <laughs> and yeah. like no animal really plays a big role and there's so much pretend food to talk about so Those let's fluffy right bread loaves that. that sound like they're like a collar bread married with bow is how I kind yeah. of envisioned it. Like they just sound so wonderful. The yeah. ones that Hassan makes with his magic. Amina steals some bread secrets from the future to bring to Hassan, yeah. which include yeast. So actually having rising loaves as flat opposed bread. to flatbread. Yeah. Um, and then also being able to just have milk and cream so that you can incorporate those Huge. because you would never be able to have dairy products that you would be able to put into bread and they would be so expensive you'd have to be wealthy enough to have an ice room Mm -hmm. which we see with Mm -hmm. Amina that like that's what she does with some of her wealth I did I found that I had some problems with the fact that she gave Hassan incredible bread baking expertise it felt different to me than um Ahab because he already because he already was a talented tailor and so was it made already sense to just 
Right, just kind of boost his existing skills. And this takes me back to, whereas Hassan is just like a little bumbling fool and he just doesn't know how to make bread. He never he learned. He was just like, oh, that'll be fun. I'll open a bakery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and God. this takes me back to um, the question we've, I feel, discussed a lot with Tamara Pierce's books, especially because she has such a divide between protagonists that are given godly assistance mm. and have underlying magic powers and then ones who so that's you know like I, I think the tier you you go from like Alana being like most assistance most magic yeah. then to Dane then down to Kel okay yeah um, who doesn't who have any magic doesn't um yeah. she's got birds she's got her little bird friends but all of her everything that she has she gets through like really persistent backbreaking work and yeah. practice and yeah. diligence and I'm not saying saying that you have to work hard in order to like I'm not trying to do some gross also like American thing. thing yeah, yeah exactly and like you will succeed if you work hard but in order to attain great skill there is you have to put work into it yeah That's and maybe universal. it's maybe it's from a personal perspective of like I've been learning how to bake bread for over 10 guys, years and now. you guys like cook um, and bake and, and it's like, like such a huge part of your life I, I think I'm also I'm not just saying like he should have to work I'm saying I want him to have the pleasure of learning how to of do education. it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and discovering uh, these so many things along the way because that's how wisdom comes it doesn't come right. with a gift like a magical gift of skill yeah and I'm a little concerned for his future I know <laughs> he, just, he he totally failed and then was just picked up and saved and did not need to do anything along the way except like avoid giving information while being tortured. <laughs> and the, the thing is, it's like it's so important to uh, provide people with ongoing resources and like cultivate in them well, the knowledge. And that's that's Amina's lesson about the not being unknotted, that Talib, who is the man who she meets at Mecca. Okay. Um, or who she watches. I guess mm -hmm. she never actually meets him who yeah. helps the young man and says like, we'll get you set up. We'll get you your rug making workshop, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, your rug making he says, he says knots like ropes can become knotted. They just need someone to unknot them. Yeah. And is talking about how, yeah, it's the old, you know, teach a man to fish. He'll eat for a lifetime. Um, but then even though she thinks she's doing that and she kind of is, she's doing it magically. And if she loses the genie, they're going to lose their, their skills. Goes away. Yeah. 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 So, and food. there, there was like a day food in the middle for that. there where Ahab and Hassan didn't have their skills. I know. Right. And we don't find out if Ahab was just like, and oh. Yeah. oh no, <laughs> my scissors, they're too short. <laughs> um, anyway. Okay. So, Regardless, I love all of his Hans baked goods. And at the end, he comes out and is like, try my newest invention. I call them cream puffs. And I was like, ah, yes. <laughs> Give me a cream puff. I love cream puffs. I want one so badly. No, I really want one, yeah. Um, yeah I'll get a I've been um, thinking a lot about that. This is what happens when I, I haven't been back to Illinois now since 2018. It's been a long time. Yeah. And I'm starting to like weirdly fantasize about very specific things, mostly food that I have not had in a really long time. And there was this Italian restaurant named Bernard's oh near God. our mom's house. <laughs> she and I had 
a long period of trying to replicate the spinach focaccia that they sold recently. They also had this dessert that they called profiteroles that was, do you remember them? Yeah, they were like those were amazing. Puffs. Oh my they were gosh. unbelievable. And they had vanilla ones and chocolate ones. Yeah. And they were so good. That's probably why I always would just fill up on those and then be like, I don't want this meatball <laughs> sub. <laughs> they were gigantic. They were delicious. Bernard's, I know you're still open. And when I do finally yeah, return to the Chicago suburbs, I will be visiting. It's like a strip mall restaurant. It's been there for, for like And it's decades. so good. Yeah. It's so good. Um, yeah. So anyway, the cream puffs made me think of Bernard's and profiteroles. Um, the genie and his enjoyment of food, it just like, fun. it went straight to the heart for me. Yeah. Um, because he's a genie, so he can eat as much as he wants. And he also doesn't have to eat. And he hadn't had for like a, a thousand drink years of anything something. for yeah. so long that he couldn't even remember because he has to be offered it by his master and no one ever offers it to him. Yeah. So when Amina offers him some sherbet... He is so excited. And then he becomes the sh- and sherbet. And then he's just uh, a, a sherbet hound. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> as well as everything else imaginable that he can get oh, yeah. his hands he, on. He eats everything. Um, it was interesting to read about sherbet uh, because when I see that, I think automatically of, I guess, sorbet. Sorbet, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think of sorbet. Mm-hmm. I think of like, you know, Baskin Robbins rainbow sorbet. <laughs> I was thinking of the sherbet they're drinking in this as like sorbet that is mixed in with like sparkling water or something. I know they didn't have carbonated water, but yeah, <laughs> that's well, what I like imagined it. They say that they get ice to cool it at mm-hmm. one point, which is like such a luxury yeah. um, living in the desert. Yeah. Um, and when I looked it up, um, I think it's a take on an... Iranian drink that is called sharbat. It's a sweet cordial, usually served chilled. It can be served in concentrated form and eaten with a spoon or diluted with water to create okay. a drink. And popular sharbats are made with one or more of the following basil seeds, rose water, fresh rose petals, sandalwood, bale. I don't know what that is. Oh hibiscus, goodness. lemon, orange, mango, pineapple, falsa, and chia seeds. So I think that's wow. what I think that's what they're having. Sounds amazing. Because those flavors are similar to what they're drinking when they're having their sherbet. Sh- because this is a hungry book at the beginning of the book, it's just like, you know, bits of bread um, that Amina can get. and that. But then like dates and olives. Then when she Sweet and meats. Idris are living together, just the two of them, they only eat cold food because <laughs> neither of them know like, how to cook. I don't know how to cook. Do you know how to cook? <laughs> no. And then they get a fish and they're so excited to make <laughs> this fish and dish just that they heard about. It. And they completely ruin it. Yeah. Um, like so bad that they cannot like, eat it. Are it beyond belief and are just miserable. Tastes like nothing but vinegar. I, I, it makes me think that Michael O'Tunnel like doesn't look cook or doesn't like to cook because there are a few like evasions of having to learn how to cook. Well, like his wife probably cooks. Amina and Idris just hire Bara instead of figuring out the cooking issue. Instead of being like, okay, we can do this. They're like, we have to hire a cook. She could have just wished the genie teacher how to cook. I know. Yeah. yeah think about that. Um, anyway. Uh, they have so many delicious feasts that Bara makes, um, roast chickens, and so many like 
gorgeous sounding fruit and date and nut platters. Um, I love a date and I have like a specific food dream to go buy some amazing dates like somewhere in, I don't know, smoothies, Iran, or make some like date butter. You can do so much with them. I also have a date dream of going to the Sultan Sea, which is a weird now dried up man-made sea in Southern California in the desert. Mm. And it has, it, it used, it was like really popular back in the early 1900s um, and was like the place to go. Um, So there's all these weird old dilapidated buildings and structures and there's cool art. That sounds cool. Yeah. The thing in that region is date shakes, um, (gasps) date milkshakes. And there are a few places that are supposed to be really amazing. I fell into a Wikipedia hole about this. Clearly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, when you're an insomniac, you learn a lot during the night when you're just sitting there reading about the world and start doing bar trivia again. (laughs) Well, we'd be so much better now. We could or wanted to go to a bar. Yeah. (laughs) Still can't do that. Yeah. That's going to be a problem. (laughs) Um, So anyway, dates. Yum. Yum. If you want to send us some dates. (laughs) We don't have an address. <laughs> we'll give you a P.O. box. We'll give you a P.O. box. Dates only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a special mail delivery service. And if it's not a date, it doesn't get in the box. Throw it away. Um, but yeah, so just throughout, I did enjoy their feasts, especially like coming together and having dinner together yeah. at the house. And then yeah. as Jeannie got the genie got to eat more and more um, and but would continue to just like pig out yeah. whenever he came yeah. as Uncle Omar to visit. Um, I enjoyed that. And that's a genie after my own heart. Yeah. So shall we uh, to our badass ladies, choose them, rage them. Stick them in a stew. (laughs) (laughs) My badass lady is Bada, and uh, I rate her unconditional love. Oh, yeah. Bada's really sweet. Yeah. I really feel for her at the end when she's like, why aren't I dead? And she's like clutching her throat over and over again. I can imagine it's very frightening to like completely bounce back from having your throat cut. It's probably quite a trip. Yeah, Yeah. It's traumatic. Um, my badass lady is going to be the genie. Um, I do, I say this for a few reasons. One, how amazing would it be to have a female genie? Yeah. Um, especially like same bringing kind of like, right. I want to bring all that grumpy, angry. I've been imprisoned in this lamp for hundreds of thousands of years. Don't make it be like a sexy lady. No, I'm not talking. I dream of Carlson happy. (laughs) And if there's one thing we at Dragon Babies want, it's to never make Tucker Carlson happy. I will suffer. Put, I will put that out there right now. God, just saying his name right makes me feel like somehow someone's going to find this podcast. Doc says. So that would be really cool. So I like thinking about that. But then the reason I'm awarding Jimmy my baddest lady meter is because I love how grumpy he is. I love how sensitive and emotional and mercurial he is and we find out that he was a very um cruel person before so like he experiences a tremendous Mm -hmm. amount of growth Mm -hmm. over he really does yeah and even becomes like 
I don't know. It's like he brings out all the best parts of himself because we see yeah. that he had some kindness in him when he's playing chess with his right. niece. Clearly, at the he beginning. still had like a human heart. Right. Um, yeah. And he just goes on such a journey. It's really fun. And I like Genie uh, a lot. Yeah. I love, I love all sorts of genies and spirits. They're great, like yeah. mischievous. They're always trying to make your wish go wrong. I loved hearing them. Each of Amina's new wishes and being like, what's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my wish for Genie is a, an Olympic pool filled with banana sherbet. Yeah. For him to slurp that's, up. That's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That concludes, as I said, certainly the longest discussion on Wishing Moon by Michael O'Tunnel that exists. So... Thank you for listening. Thank you. Um, we uh, are, yeah, going to keep saying we're trying to get on a regular schedule and then we'll see what happens. So thanks for coming along. Stay subscribed. Uh, Follow us on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod, or check out our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. We always post when a new episode comes out. So even if you're not like checking your podcast feeds frequently. We'll let you know. And we'll put up some art related to things that we've talked about. Maybe a picture of some sherbet. Maybe that horrible other cover that I was uh, mentioning at the beginning. (laughs) And we'll also announce right now the next book we are going to cover is The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper, which is a continuation of Oversea Understone. Or they're in the same series. It's pretty different. I'm excited. Um, But we're really excited. There's going to be more magic stuff in this one. There will. More Arthurian stuff. I loved Oversea Understone, and I'm really excited to continue. So check back for that. Yeah. And uh, I have a plug for my art Instagram account. My Insta handle is pig and doodles. So that's the word pig, the letter N as in Nancy, and the word doodles as in doodling. Nice. And you may yet monetize it. Someday maybe you'll have some art for sales. For sure. Yeah, no, totally a possibility. Um, Right now, just because of my ye old mental illness deal, I have to not... um, have too many uh, obligations at once. So that's why I've just been having it as like a yeah. a healthy thing. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, my stability is increasing. I'm doing good. So who's With to each say? each day, my powers <laughs> grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last, um, the last uh, like, month span has been... Um, some of the worst 30 days of my life so tough. Yeah, yeah hoping hoping for smoother tides ahead greener um, pastures and we hope that when we're there you'll be there with us yeah thank you for listening thank you i'm grace i'm madeline and we're dragon babies goodbye until next time <laughs>